All right, so everyone can come on back in and find a place that you can grab a seat to hear the word this morning. So I want to start off by telling you guys a story. When I was 13 years old, I was riding a bus home from school, and I went to get off the bus, and when I stood up to get off the bus, I realized like my stomach kind of hurt a little bit. And I was like, that's weird. So I just kind of, it was my turn to get off the bus, and I was right here, and my parents lived right next door, and I was just getting off the bus, and I walked down the steps, and as soon as I stepped down to get out of the bus, it was like I stepped down, and this pain in my stomach like bent my body in half like this, and I was like, oh my goodness, that hurts really bad, like what in the world? And I was like, maybe I'm just hungry, I need something to eat. That usually, getting something to eat usually fixed something, everything in my life in those days. So I like went inside like this, and I got something to eat, and then I was like headed towards the living room to sit down. And my mom kind of looked at me, and she's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. My stomach hurts. She said, well, she asked me some more questions, and she said, maybe you should just rest for the day. And I said, well, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I can barely move. I'm dying here, Mom. Come on. So I sat down on the couch, and the pain just kind of got worse as the day went on. And I would go to get, like, get up from the couch, and I was like, it was like my body wanted to like, fold in half, and I, like, couldn't, like, I couldn't stand up like this at all. So the night went on, and it kind of got worse, and eventually my parents decided they wanted to take me to the emergency room. So we went to the emergency room, and this guy kind of inspected me and looked me over, and then he decided I wanted, he wanted to go get some pictures on the inside of my body, so he sent me out for some imaging, and I came back, and I sat down, and he said, he walks in, and he sits down in front of me, and he says, son, I think you have gas. And I, I looked back at this, he said, I want you to go home and try and go to the bathroom. And so I kind of like looked up at this doctor like, are you crazy, dude? Like, as it turns out, I've gone to the bathroom before. I'm experienced in this line of work. Like, I know what that feels like, and this is not that. And he said, no, that, that's what's going on here. You need to go home and go to the bathroom. I'm like, all right. So I go home, and I didn't go to the bathroom because I didn't need to go to the bathroom. Like, I tried to tell him, but he didn't hear me. So I went home and I went to bed. I was kind of hurt and I had a hard time falling asleep. Finally, I fell asleep. And then at 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up like the world was coming to the end. Like it had gotten a thousand times worse. I knew whatever was wrong was very wrong now. So I, I couldn't even move. I couldn't get out of bed. I just yelled for my parents. And so my parents came and got me and they said, we're going back to the emergency room. You must really have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, I don't have to go to the bathroom. So... So we go to the emergency room, and there's a new doctor there this time, and he looks at me, and he says, no, no, you, you don't have to go to the bathroom. He said, your appendix needs to come out. That's what's going on. In fact, I think it might have ruptured. So they sent me in for surgery, and they got my appendix out, and they cleaned up the mess from it rupturing and all that. And what was crazy was I was 13, and I had never even heard the word appendix before. I didn't know I had one. I didn't know it was a thing. I, me and my appendix got along fine, even though I didn't know I didn't have one, until there was a problem with it. And when there was a problem with it, all of a sudden, that came to the front of my face. Like, I knew there was a problem here. And that is kind of how most of us deal with our souls. Each one of us has a soul, but we don't really think about it very much. Some of us don't have never even at any point in time in our life paid any attention to our soul until at times in our life there becomes a very, very real problem with our soul and it's in our face and you can't ignore it. People will say things about, like, my life is falling apart. Like, everything has gone to heck. Like, I don't even know what to do. That is a major problem with our soul that we've ignored for so long. A couple of weeks ago when we started this series in the Psalms, I said that we were made in the image of God. Each one of us has been made in the image of God, and God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And similarly, we are made three in one. We're body, soul, and spirit, made in the image of God, three in one. Adam was the first man to become three in one. God literally gathered up dust and made his body. Then he breathed into him, and he became body, soul, and spirit. And every human that's walked the face of the earth since Adam it's been three in one, body, soul, and spirit. Maybe you've noticed, as we've read through the Psalms for the month of January, that the word soul is just scattered everywhere throughout the Psalms. And interestingly, it's not just the Psalms. Tons of ancient writings, even outside of the Bible, refer often to this 
thing called a soul. We don't really use that word very much anymore or talk about it or think about it. Sometimes you'll say, you'll hear Christians say they're trying to reach a lost soul or something like that, but what even is a soul? It's hard to describe what a soul is, but I'm going to try and do that this morning. We're going to see if you guys can read my chicken scratch. So at the center of you, yes, it looks like a second grader's writing, I know. At the center of each of us, we have a will. It's the thing that makes us different than a thing, that makes us different than a chair or a tree, is we have the ability to choose. Each one of us has the ability to choose and make tons of choices. We have what the Bible calls a free will, which means we can choose whatever we want, whenever we want. Oftentimes you'll see that this will expressed in like a two-year-old or something like that, where they find out they have a will, and they're going to start imposing their will. They're going to tell you no, and they're going to say mine, and they're finding out they have this free will, and they're starting to exercise it. And then we're body, soul, and spirit, so each of us has a spirit. That's a T, I promise. Each of us has a spirit, and that's a part of us that's designed to be in communion with God. If we feel far from God, there's a part of us, inside of us, that aches to be in relationship and in communion with God. And then we have our emotions. Some of us are more in touch with our emotions than others. Some of you don't think you have emotions. Some of you wives don't think your husbands have emotions. As it turns out, they do. They're just not very in touch with them. And actually, our emotions are the place where most of us make decisions from. We like to think that we make decisions in our mind from a place of, logic and reason, but that's actually not very true. Almost everybody makes decisions on an emotional level. That's the things that we feel. Then we have a body. Everyone here is a body. I know you do. I can see it. This is the physical part of you. It's your hands and your feet and your face and your hair. It's your physical part that God made. And then outside of that, we have a soul. And the soul is the part of us that encompasses every other part of us. The soul is the part of you that connects all these other parts. All these other parts of you, your soul is the thing that connects all of those things. That's why in the Psalms we hear the psalmist say, uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all these other parts bless the Lord too. Your soul wants to be at peace with the rest of your body. Your soul wants all of your body to be, all of your parts of you to be on the same page. It wants you to be working together harmoniously. This is why you can see, we say things like somebody got torn apart or torn up inside because they maybe did something they knew they shouldn't have done and they were acting a way that that's not who I want to be and they are like torn up inside. It's because the different parts of them are not on the same page and they feel torn apart. That's your soul that in that moment, maybe you do something, you go act a way that you know you shouldn't and you're like, that's not me, that's not who I want to be and you feel this tearing inside. That's your soul that feels torn apart because it's a disintegration between the various parts of you. And so our soul doesn't want us to be fragmented like that. Our soul wants us to be on the same page, all the parts of us working together towards something. But the problem is, we're not like that most of the time. We have all these different parts of us that end up working in different directions. So let's say, for an example, you want to be healthy, and you want to get in shape, and you want to eat well because you know you need to, and so you kind of set some goals, and you say, this is what I'm going to do to try and get in shape and get healthy. So your mind wants you to do that, but your body is addicted to sugar. So there's this fragmenting inside of you. Your mind says, be in shape and take care of yourself. And your body says, give me sugar now. I'm getting angry. I'm getting tired. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting low energy. Give me sugar now. And so we cave in in our will. So we cave and we give in and we eat sugar. But now we're fragmented and our soul hates it when we're fragmented and we have our parts of ourselves working in different directions. And so our soul wants us to get on the same page so we end up telling ourselves a story in our head to try and get our soul to see, no, it's okay, we're really on the same page, even though we're not. So we say something like, well, today was just a cheat day. 
Like everyone has to have a cheat day. Like today was my cheat day. I'll jump back in Monday morning. Or we compare ourselves to other people and we look at someone else and we're like, that dude's diet is horrible. I'm going to go home and watch my 600-pound life and I'm going to feel way better about myself even though I just broke my commitment. But we do these things to make ourselves feel better, to try and convince our souls that we're not fragmented on the inside when we really are. Maybe you've known someone in your life who was kind of conflicted, like, am I going to live for the Lord or am I going to live a life of sin? Am I going to chase after some other lifestyle? And they were like, really fragmented and torn apart on this decision. And then eventually they give in and they say, you know what, I'm just going to live this sinful life. Like, that's who I am. I'm just going to be me. And it seems like they're at a place of peace when they make that decision. And you as a believer in Christ look at them and you're like, why do they almost seem like they're more happy now that they've chosen to live that way? Well, what happened was their soul got more on the same page. It got on the same page in a bad direction but it got on the same page nonetheless, and it brought peace to their life. Our soul always wants to be on the same page with all the various parts of us. Maybe you look at Jesus and you say, you know what, Jesus is such a giver, I want to be a giver. I want to be generous. And so you want to be generous, but at the same time, there's kind of a place in you that loves money. And it's like, well, I kind of want money for myself, and I want security, and I want want to buy this stuff with my money. So you're conflicted. Like, which one is it? Do you want to be a giver like Jesus, or do you want to love money? Well, you know the Bible says that the, the root of all kinds of evil is a love of money, so you know that's not good. So you do these little things to try and convince yourself that you're generous, to try and convince yourself that you're a giver, when really you're not, and you know you're not, and you're trying to do that to bring peace and harmony to your soul. And I think pretty much almost everyone has really great intentions. Like, we all want to do the right thing. We want to do the good thing. But we have a saying about that. We say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. In other words, there's tons of people who had good intentions but never really did the thing that they were wanting to do to surrender to the Lord. This is also the problem with, like, the billion-dollar self-help industry. Is like, this industry tries to tell us that we can will ourselves into a better place. Like if we work hard enough and we get the right mindset and we do all this stuff, we can get into a better place. But our will is super weak with the little small decisions that we make on a daily basis. Our will is really good at the big decisions, like do I want to marry this person? Do I want to be a cop or a plumber? Do I want to go to college? Do I want to buy this house? Our will is like really good at those decisions. But when it comes down to the little daily decisions that we make, our appetites and our habits eat our will like it's no big deal. Like we see this in our life all the time where our, our, our appetites and our habits, the things we do, they destroy our will. So why Paul says, I don't want to do the things that I do and I want to do the things that I don't do. Like we end up in that place of being conflicted. When there's disharmony, in the different parts of us, it tears apart our soul. And like me with my appendix, that I had a serious problem with it, and I didn't even know I had an appendix. Didn't even know it was a thing until it was a problem. So many of us are walking around with severely damaged souls because we haven't paid attention to them to give our souls what God intended it to need. I want to look this morning at Psalm 42 and 43, which talks a lot about our soul. And I want to see what we can take out of this to get our souls in a healthy place. So we're going to start by reading Psalm 42 and 43. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throngs. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy, my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. My soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Could you guys hand out those papers for me? So here we have the sons of Korah. They're the writers of this song. They're in that place of having disintegrated, fragmented souls. And these sons of Korah, they're not just like your average weakling or troublemaker. Like These dudes were set apart for worshiping God. They studied the scriptures. They spent time learning their instruments, learning how to worship him, learning how to build and cultivate a relationship with him. But here they are in the same place that each one of us end up in our life at one time or another, maybe today for some of you, with disintegrated souls. I love the Psalms. There's a rawness about the Psalms. There's a vulnerability about the Psalms. The Psalms are like, if you're going to do the Psalms right, you don't put on your Sunday best and get polished up to show up and do the Psalms. Like The Psalms are real. They're vulnerable. They're raw. They don't hold anything back. They capture the pain of the human soul. They capture the pain of the human existence, and all of us experience that in our life. Now, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were actually probably one song when it was first written. They used the same cadence and the same linguistic style. It was one song that was written. And today when we, when we sing songs like we did this morning, oftentimes we break them up into what we call like a verse, sometimes a pre-chorus, then a chorus, sometimes verse two, chorus two, and then a bridge. And that's exactly what goes on here in this psalm. And I want you to see it this morning. And then I'm going to take those various sections of the song and pull some points out of it. So on that paper that you guys received, I, I broke it down in a way that it would look like a song that we would sing today. So the first three verse, verses of Psalm 42 are like, are like verse 1 of the song. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Verse 1, start, or verse one of this song starts out, in a dark, in a painful place. We would say, if, if I met with this psalmist in my office, I would say, this dude's depressed. Like, he is riding the struggle bus. Like, he is not doing well. He is not thriving. He is struggling. And each one of us have been in that place at one time or another. We're really good at faking it and really good at putting on a face and acting like everything's okay, but the psalmist doesn't do that. He just puts it out there like, I'm not doing well, I'm not okay, this is where I'm at. But then he moves on to verse 4, to the pre-chorus. And in the pre-chorus, he kind of changes his tune a little bit. He says, these things I remember, and remember is the key word here, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive people. So here he's remembering times where he experienced God before. He starts out in that place of discouragement 
and depression, and then he starts to remember. He says, I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to stay in that place where the devil's just messing with me. But he starts to remember times he's experienced God before. And then he moves on to the chorus. He starts to speak to his soul. He says, why so downcast? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He starts telling himself the truth. Put your hope in God. He says, for I will yet praise him because he's my Savior and my God. Goes back to his soul. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of Jordan to the heights of Hermon to Mount Mizar. These are places where he has experienced victory before. Times where he's been in God's presence. Times where God won the battle that he didn't think was possible to win. He's remembering these times. It says, deep calls to deep. In other words, the deepest place of me cries out for the deepest place in you. I was designed to be in connection with you, in communion with you. It says, and then you answer that call. It says, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. I'm being overcome by your presence. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Then he goes to the second verse of the song. He says, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? Like he is not holding punches in this second verse. Now he's starting to point his finger at God and say, why have you abandoned me? Like, I'm going through this stuff. Do you even care about what I'm up against? Do you see what I'm walking through? Do you see what's going on? He's being real with God. He's not faking the funk. He's not standing here singing praises when he doesn't feel it. He's saying, I'm ticked off. This is not good, and I am struggling. Again, the raw pain of the human experience that each one of us walk through. Then again, he doesn't stay in that place but he moves on to the pre-course and he starts to remember more times where he was in God's presence. He says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Again, he's remembering times where he experienced God's faithful care in the past. Times he was in darkness and God showed up and brought light in the situation. When he went to the holy mountain and met with God. Then he moves on to the chorus says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy, my delight. I will praise you with the guitar. Oh God, my God, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He is my Savior and my God. In this song, I see a progression that will get our souls out of the unhealthy burnt out, whooped place that most of our souls are and get us to a place of strength. Get us to a place where our soul sees all the various parts of us on the same page working together towards what God has called us to. So the first thing that stands out in that song to me is the psalmist says to be real with your soul. To be real with your soul. We're pretty bad at this. We're not very good at being real with our soul. We're not very good at being raw. We're not good at being vulnerable. Most of us get up every day and put on a mask and put on a face and go through life like everything's okay when it is not. You never know what the people that are around you are going through. But almost everybody is going through something. And most of us on one level or another we are not okay. And somewhere along the line, like we thought we're supposed to put on a face and act like everything's okay and tough it out and suck it up and just deal with it. The psalmist says, yeah, that's going to lead to a disintegrated soul. That's going to lead to you having an appendix that needs to come out because it's a disaster. It's going to lead to a broken soul. And that's what so many of us do. There, there are things in us that are not good. There are things in us that are not right. There are things that are in us that are not okay. And what we tend to do is just to cover up those things. I'll give you an example. Let's say we want to see ourselves as a caring person. Like we know that being a caring person is good, and so we want to 
We want to be a caring person, so we tell ourselves a story about how we're caring people. But when the rubber meets the road, the truth is we care more about ourselves than we do the people around us. Like, we don't actually care about them. We have an opportunity to sacrificially express love to someone, and we're like, yeah, I kind of already got my sweatpants on. I think I'm going to stay in for the night. Like, don't really want to go do that for that person. Like, I'm, I'm good. I already got my slippers on. Like, I'm not going to do that. And so we tell ourselves a story about ourselves, even if that story is completely false, to make ourselves feel better about who we are and where we're, where we're at. You'd like to think of yourself as a calm person. Like, you're pretty calm. You're pretty cool, collected. Like, you've got yourself under control. But let your kids push your buttons for a little bit. And that calmness goes out the window. Like, we can ask your neighbors, and they'll tell us the truth. Like, you're not as calm as you pretend you are. Like, we can hear you yelling two houses down. Like, let's be honest. Or you think you're calm and you're cool and you're collected. Let your boss say something, come and, and confront you with something and say, hey, you, you fell short in this area, but it wasn't you. It was some, some other employee. And it's like that calmness kind of goes out the window and you go from zero to 60 real fast. But you want to feel like a calm person because it makes you feel better about yourself. So you tell yourself, a lie. The psalmist says you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just put on a show. You got to start out by being real about where you're really at, being honest about where you're really at. The psalmist is brutally honest. Like, he doesn't fake it. He doesn't act like he has it all together. He's like, I'm mad. I'm even mad at you, God. My life is falling apart. I'm struggling like crazy in the area, this, these areas. He starts out by being honest and when you start out by being honest, it takes the weight that you carry through life and it takes it off of your shoulders and it lays it at Jesus' feet. I got to be honest and say that some of you look like you're walking through life carrying a thousand pounds on your back. Some of you look worn out. Some of you look worn down. And this is why. Because you just put on a mask day after day after day and act like everything's okay when you are not okay. You are not okay inside. And the psalmist says we have to start by being honest about that, being brutally honest, being vulnerable with God and saying, God, this is where I'm at. Now, each one of us is a different person, and there's all kinds of places that our souls could be. But one place that I think that we're pretty consistent in, most people, is we live lives that are way, way too hurried. Like we go from thing to thing. Like the pace that we maintain in our lives, I'm just going to say it, it's absolutely ridiculous. And your soul wants to be at a place of rest. Your soul wants to be at a place where it can commune with God. But you're going so fast, shoving so much stuff on the plate of your life, that your soul is just hurried on top of hurried on top of hurried. And hurried to your soul is like nails on a chalkboard. It's literally damaging to your soul, but you can't see it and you can ignore it, and so you do. And you just pile more stuff on and increase the pace, and then you end up in a place where you're headed towards train wreck because you haven't cared for your soul at all. About four or five years ago, I read a book uh, called Soul Keeping by a guy named John Ortberg. And uh, it's a, it was a book that really it was about him learning to care for his soul. And most of the book was about his relationship with this guy named Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard was helping him learn how to care for his soul and learn how to see the need that his soul had and learn to care for it. And in that book, Dallas Willard asked John this question. He says, have you ever felt like your soul needed time and space to catch up with your body? That's a good indication that your soul needs rest. I think if we were honest this morning, like the psalmist, one of the places that most of us are is way, way too hurried in our life. And if we just take a second and just try and pay attention to our soul for a second, Almost immediately, we know that the pace that we've been keeping in our lives 
is literally damaging our soul. Some of you, if you just took, took a deep breath this morning, maybe you, should, maybe you should do this, just take a deep breath in and just breathe it out. Just in that second, you can hear your soul going, yeah, you've been too hurried. You don't even hardly have time to breathe, hardly have time to catch your breath sometimes. We live a hurried life. Jesus had something to say about this in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Some of you just hearing those words, wearied and burdened, your soul was like, hey, that's me this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Jesus is asking us this morning, where is your soul at? Where are you at? And for a lot of us, we're weary and we're burdened because we've been going at such a pace, carrying so much instead of bringing it to him and laying it at his feet. One of the best medicines I could prescribe for each one of your souls is to create margin in your life. So like if we take a piece of paper like this, like this one I'm preaching from, the margin is like the space over at the top and the sides and the bottom where there's nothing. There's nothing there. There's words and stuff in between there, but on the margins, there's nothing. We don't have enough margin in our life. It's like we run our life as if everything is going to go perfect all the time. It's like be as if this page was just covered top to bottom in words with what we're going to do with our day. Planning is if everything is going to go perfectly, but nothing goes perfectly. Like life happens all the time, but we act like it's not going to. We have no margin in our life. And then when the stuff of life happens, it's stressful, it's chaotic, we feel overwhelmed, like we can't even have it, and we're like on the edge of breaking down. Some of my friends kind of pick on me for always being early. I'm like an early person, mainly because I had to be when I was growing up or I'd get in trouble. My, being on time was a real big deal to my dad, and 15 minutes early was on time. So I was, I'm always early everywhere. I can't help it. But the truth is, now in my life, that's not like just a habit. It's intentional, very, very intentional, because being early to some place gives me margin. It gives me time to sit and spend, I met, met a friend for breakfast at Lance's, and he rolled up there, and he was like, what time did you get here? And I was like, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, or whatever. He's like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I didn't know you were waiting all that time. I was like, I did it on purpose. Like, I did it to create margin in my life. And then if something happens, if I get a flat tire, it's not that big of a deal. I can fix the thing, and, and off we go. I took Jocelyn to the airport on Friday, and she was going to Florida to visit her grandparents. And uh, we were, we went did what we needed to do like at the ticket counter and then we were going through security and there was people like trying to budge in front of everybody in security like can I get in front of you can I get in front of you like they had no margin in their life they're like doing it like home alone style like running through the airport and like trying to get by people because they have no margin and stuff didn't go right and now they're super stressed and Jocelyn got a laugh looking at them because they were like losing their minds but like they have no margin, and it creates so much stress, and that pace is damaging to your soul. So the first thing that the psalmist says is we got to be real with our soul. So I just want to take a minute this morning, and if you were to look at the verses in this song, and you were to write them instead of the sons of Korah, you were to be brutally honest with God about where you're at in your life, about the condition of your soul, about how you're feeling in life, what would that verse look like? The sons of Korah told us what their life looks like, and it's kind of a hot mess, and they're struggling. And probably a lot of us are in that place, too, in one way or another. So I just want to take a minute, and I want you to actually do this. I want you to, if you've got a pen, write it down. If you've got a phone, write it in your notes section. But just write down and say, God, this is where I'm at. Don't fake it. Don't say I'm okay. Don't say everything's good if it's not. If you've got to cry, go ahead and cry. If, you gotta, if you're angry... Let God know you're angry. If you've got to swear, it'll be okay. It'll work out. Don't worry. Don't do it too loud. There's kids downstairs. But be real with God this morning about where you're at. Start off in that place that the sons of Korah did where they were real with God and said, God, this is where I'm at. 
Go ahead and take a minute and do that. If you're tired, go ahead and tell them you're tired. If you're worn out, tell them that too. If you're scared, maybe you're frustrated. Maybe some of you are disappointed. Maybe you didn't expect to be at the place in life where you're at right now. Maybe you feel empty. Maybe you feel far from God like he doesn't care. Just be honest with him about where you're at. Maybe you've been ignoring God and just going about your business as if he's not even there. Be honest with him about that. So the psalmist starts off by saying we need to be real about where we're at with God. Be real with our soul. The next thing that he says is to remind your souls. This is the pre-chorus in the song that I handed out to you guys in chapter 42 and 43. In 42.4 and in 43.3, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among festive throngs. Then in 43.3, it says, Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Here the psalmist is remembering times in the past that he met with God. Now remember, in the verses of this song, he's in a place where he doesn't see a way out. He doesn't feel any hope for the future. He's discouraged. He's frustrated. And then in that place, from that place, he begins to remember times where he met with God before. Remember times where God showed up and gave him the victory. Remember times where God answered a prayer he had been crying out for. Each one of us need to find ways to memorialize times that God has showed up in our past. Times that God has been faithful. Times that God has come through. Times that God has answered prayers. We're really bad at that. We tend to forget the times that God has been faithful so quick. We see the current challenge in front of us, and we forget what God did for us just five minutes ago. We need to learn to remember those things. One of the ways that I do that in my life is I'll go to physical places that I've met with God before. If I'm in a place where I'm struggling, I'll go to a place that I met with God previously. One of those places is Camp Hickory Hill. Growing up, I went to Camp Judah, and there was tons of times where I was at Camp Judah where I met with God in a way that was transformative, where I experienced his presence, I met with him, and it changed my life. So sometimes I'll go up there, and some of you will remember there used to be a tent we would set up in the big field up there where we would have services. Sometimes I'll go to where that tent used to be, and I'll just sit on the ground there and spend time with the Lord. Or I'll go up to the cross up in the corner of that field, and I'll spend time with God there. Another place that I go sometimes is um, when I graduated from high school, I went to Bible school at Elam Bible Institute. So for three years, I was there in Bible school, and there was tons of stuff that God did in my life during that season. Sometimes I'll go to the tab, which is the building that we used to have our chapel services, and I'll just go in the back of the tab, and I'll just sit there. No one else will be there, but I'll remember times that I met with God. And those times that I encountered God and met with him will encourage me in the place that I'm at right now, or remind me of answered prayers that God had in my life. Another place that I go is a place I call Top of the World. It's 
just up there on the hill, up by the cell phone tower up there. It's a, like a little overlook where you can look out over Warsaw. And times where I'm frustrated, times when things aren't going well, sometimes I'll leave the office here and feel like things aren't going well for one reason or another. And I'll just go up to the top of the world and just sit there. And I look down at Warsaw from a, a, a perspective that's closer to God's perspective than the one I had when I was sitting in my office. The, the problem that was in my office that looks so big from up there, I can barely even see my office. It doesn't look so big anymore. And I know that God can handle the challenges of my life. I have a friend who, um, his daughter, I believe it was, was born, and uh, they didn't know if she was going to make it. She did make it, and she's totally fine. And uh, he carries around a picture of his daughter when she was like laying in this little, I don't even know what they call it, this little basket thing that they have at the hospital, like under a little incubator thing, whatever, keep her warm. She was laying under that, and the doctor told him, we're going to have to take her. I don't know, I don't know if you're going to see her again. And he took a picture of her to, in case he didn't see her again. And he carries around that picture to remind himself that God answered his prayer. God did what he said he would do. God healed his daughter. God raised up his daughter. He has something he can look back at. And there's times where I'll say to him, you need to get in your wallet and look at that picture, dude. Like, you lost your mind. You've gone totally crazy, and you don't know what's true about God. You need to get in that wallet, look at that picture, and remember the same God that came through then can come through now in your life and the challenge that you're facing. In uh, 2 Samuel 7-2, Samuel sets up a memorial, and he names that memorial Ebenezer. Maybe some of you will, that sounds familiar to you, because we used to sing a song called Come Thou Fount, and there's a line in it that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And what that's talking about was Samuel had seen a victory. He saw God come through, and he literally built a physical altar Name the thing Ebenezer so that every person that ever crossed by that thing ever again would know God came through for Samuel and his people. There would be no question in their mind. If they ever got discouraged, if they ever tried to go back where they came from, they weren't going to be able to go back where they came from without crossing that Ebenezer and remembering what God had done for them. What do you have in your life as an Ebenezer? What's your Ebenezer? What's something that you can look back on and say, I know I met with God in that place, and I was not the same. I know God answered this prayer in my life. There was a time where I didn't have two pennies to rub together, and I didn't know how we were going to pay rent, and God came through in a way that I thought was totally impossible, but he came through, and I know I can point to that place and say, God is faithful. So if I'm struggling now, I can look back at that thing. Each one of us, has to have an Ebenezer. It's my opinion that an Ebenezer really should be a physical thing that you can touch, that you can pick up, that you can go back to, you can point to, and you can say, I met with God in that place and I was changed. God came through. God gave me a victory in this place when it looked impossible. Maybe you're a mom and you had your first kid and you prayed and you asked God and you wanted your kid to have a relationship with God and that kid was just fighting like tooth and nail the whole way and you're going like, I don't know if this kid is ever going to have a relationship with God. But now that kid does have a relationship with God. You're going to need an Ebenezer for the second kid. I can almost promise you. Like, you're going to need something you can look back on and go like, okay, I thought it was impossible with the first one, but God came through. He can do it with this one again. We need Ebenezer's in our life to point back on and say, if God did it for me before, I know he can do it again. Amen? So what, is, what about you? What's your Ebenezer in your life? What's something you can point back to and say, there was a time where I didn't think we were going to make it, but God came through. Each one of us has to have an Ebenezer. If you don't have one now, if you can't think of some specific thing, I want you to spend some time this week Really, like thinking, maybe some of you need to go build something. Like physically go take wood and stone and something and, and build something to say, this is something for our family to remember. God came through for us. We didn't know if he was going to, but he did. The last thing the psalmist says is to speak to your soul. And this is in the chorus. It's really interesting how the psalmist speaks to his soul. It's almost as if he's speaking to another person 
What I found was interesting is this isn't even just typical in the Psalms. There's all kinds of ancient writings from a similar time period where people speak to their soul in a way that almost seems like they're speaking to a different person. But they're not speaking to a different person. What they're doing is they're speaking to themselves with God's truth. They're applying God's truth to their lives. Oftentimes, we make the mistake of listening to our minds and feeling our emotions and letting those things guide and dictate and steer the ship of our life. How many of you guys are overthinkers? We got any overthinkers up in here? So you guys scare me. Like, some of you, like, I sat down with this one guy this one time, and he told me this story about how he thought the world was going to end. And I was like, that's interesting. How did you come to that conclusion? And he's, he went on this, like, 15-minute dialogue. Well, this happened, then this happened. I got, I got thinking about it. He said that so many times. I got thinking about it. I'm going, you shouldn't have got thinking about it, dude, because you're crazy. Like, I got thinking about this, and then I saw that, and then I thought, well, if this happens, and maybe this happened, then I got thinking about it. If that happens, maybe this happens, and boom, like, bats took over the world. And like, what, dude? You're crazy. And, you know, that guy's crazy, but some of you overthinkers, man, you guys create stress and trouble in your life. You guys create problems by letting your mind run wild and tell you all kinds of crazy stuff, and you take it like it's truth, your mind is crazy. And then some of you aren't really overthinkers, but you let your emotions run your life. And some of you know what that's like, the emotional roller coaster. And I'm not talking about a fun roller coaster of just up and down, all over place. You feel this one minute, you feel this the next, you're just all over the place. Our minds and our emotions are really good and useful, but they're not good to rule our lives. We need the truth of God to rule our lives. You spend too much time listening to your mind think and feeling what your emotions feel and not enough time speaking to your soul. You need to speak to your soul. There's a phrase that I've grown to hate. I think it's an awful phrase, and I wish I could burn it, but it's not possible. The phrase is, I'm living my truth. I hear people say this all the time, like, oh, I'm just living my truth, you know, whatever. Your truth is stupid, and so are you. Um, like, I'm just so sick of hearing people saying that. And the reason, I, the reason I hate that phrase, and I think it's awful, is our truth changes like every 10 minutes. Like, one day this is true, the next day this is true, and it, the speed at which that truth is changing is just increasing every day. And your truth is not going to be your truth tomorrow or next month. It's just all over the place. It's about time that we stop letting our truth guide our lives and start letting God's truth be the deciding factor in our life and speak to our soul and say, this is what God said. This is Why so downcast within me? Put your hope in God. He came through for you before and he's going to come through again. Quit your crying, get up and go do what God called you to do. Like This is how we need to speak to our souls. Don't just lay in bed and I feel sad. Well, get up. God is still good. He's on the throne. You're going to be okay. Be honest with yourself, but don't stay there. We've got to go to the pre-chorus so we can get to the chorus. Come on, people. <laughs> Being real with your soul, reminding your soul, and speaking to your soul will lead to you having an integrated soul. Being fake with your soul, forgetting what God has done, and letting your mind and emotions speak to you will most certainly lead to a disintegrated soul. One of my favorite quotes in that book that I was telling you about soul keeping by Dallas Willard, is he said, he told John this, he said, you must arrange your day so that you're experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. It's hard to experience deep contentment, joy, and confidence when you're not real, when you're fake. How could you ever experience joy and confidence if you're just being fake? So that's why you got to start with being real about where you're at. But it's hard to experience deep joy and contentment if you just stay in that place of rawness and depression and discouragement. We have to come out of that, and we have to remind our souls of what God has done. And then we need to speak to our souls. We started out this series, and I called it The Pursuit of Happiness. 
it's going to be hard to be happy when we have disintegrated souls. But when we start out by being honest, it's like a weight will literally be lifted off of our shoulders. But then we can't stay in that place. We need to remind ourselves about how God has come through for us in our past. And then we need to speak to our souls and tell our souls to get up and worship this magnificent, living God that's more faithful than the sunrise, is there for us every second of the day. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to end this morning, and if you need more time, you know, I, I kind of went quickly through, through those things, and maybe some of you are still stuck at the first point of, of figuring out where your soul is actually at, and you need a little more time this morning to write that first verse of that song for your life and say, God, like, I'm going to be honest. There's been some stuff I haven't been honest about. I just want you to take as much time as you need here this morning. And after I'm done praying, if you have, want to have conversations with friends, you can just take that in the foyer, and that's totally okay. But if you need more time just to sit with the Lord and talk about where you're at this morning, that's, that's totally okay. You can take that time. God, we just come to you this morning, and Lord, you know what's going on inside of each one of us. Lord, why do we put on masks and try and be fake when you already know everything that's going on? Lord, I ask that as people are real and vulnerable with you like the psalmist was, that they would feel the weariness and the burdens that they've been carrying lift off their shoulders, the weight that they've been walking around with, the tiredness, the hurried life that they've been, they've been living, Lord, that that would all just fall to the side. And when that happens, they would begin to just remember the times you've come through in the past. They would begin to remember the times that you've been faithful, the times they prayed for a healing, and you did it. The times they didn't think they were going to make it, but they're here. The times they felt hopeless, and then you showed up, and they found out you were more real than anything else that they've ever seen in their life. And then they would begin to speak, to their soul, not just listen to their mind, not just live in their feelings, begin to speak to their soul, and they would put their hope in you. Lord, I pray for each one who's been struggling with the hurried life, just barely able to keep up with the pace of life, just feel like they're holding on on a roller coaster ride. Lord, I ask that they would find a place of rest in you. That whatever striving they've been doing, whatever thing they've been chasing, that they would find a new place of rest. Lord, I ask you to come and meet with each one. I ask you to bless them as they go from this place today, that their soul would be in a much healthier place. In your name I pray. Amen.